Hey, good people, how we doing? As we journey deeper and discover more of what finding good times really is, and I say we because it's not just you, it's me as well, right? As we discover and, and find what finding good times really is, um, the joy in it is the ability to add more voices and more perspectives and more light to the platform. And one of the people that I am so proud to say is joining the Finding Good Time family and going to offer us some great content is this young lady that we have here with us today. So I'm not even going to uh, pre it up or prep it up. I'm just going to go right into the episode. Y'all are going to enjoy this so much. Y'all are going to learn so much from her light. This is Janet of that elder millennial and i'll see y'all on the other side awkward people i used to be super awkward um i used to be like i used to be the guy in the room that just didn't talk and i had to lean into being like a non-weirdo <laughs> as a but i mean it's i love that it's all you know finding who we are and I think it's an amazing thing when, you know, like you say, finding the good times. And that's a lot has to do with finding who you are. Literally. Um, all right. So let's start. Yeah. Hey, good people. How we doing? How we doing? So this is my new friend. Um, and I say that because she, I know so much about her already, even though this is our first conversation. Um, this is Janet Simon. Yes. Of the uh, the Elder Millennial podcast. Um, and matter of fact, just let her tell you a little bit about herself and her podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Janet, but you can call me Jay. And I'm the host of that Elder Millennial podcast. My podcast is all about getting through life, living with mental illness. And I talk about all different life topics. I do have bipolar too. I was diagnosed after 30 years of symptoms. I talk about my life openly and I also share stories from whoever wants to submit it. I take their stories and I try to tell it in the most respectful and enlightening way that we can help other people not go through the same thing we have or kind of follow some direction when they're going through a hard time and that you know you're not alone. I love the fact that you are so vulnerable in your in your podcast, right? How did you get to that place of being able to share so much with people? Especially people that you don't really know, you don't know who's listening. How do you get right. to Right. Um I ha I always knew that I wanted to tell my story. I knew that I couldn't have been going through so many things uh in vain. I felt and I feel like everybody has a story to tell, but um, I knew that I had experienced a lot due to not having the right direction. And I knew that once I had found any direction in anything, that I was going to try to put it out there. And starting the podcast was just my avenue that I chose that was best for me and was most comfortable for me to do. But as far as being vulnerable, I've always been that way. I've always tried to reach out to people if I could help someone, I, I think we give what we can't get from other people sometimes. And that's what I did a lot of my life. I searched and I grasped and I, and I would extend my hand to, to get help and I wouldn't find it. And I said, I'm not going to be that person. We give what we can't get. 
I find a lot in my conversations with people. Um, they're always giving, right? Something to a conversation, but it's not necessarily, um, how can I put this, honest, right? They're, they're giving what they expect me to want, right? I hear you. Mm-hmm. How do we differentiate? Because my view of the podcast is that you're telling your story to help other people, right? Right. Um, but how do we give to people what we think that they want and what we think that they need, but also remain as genuine and honest as we possibly can be? I think that I just go with my soul. Okay. I think that I just comes from somewhere. Not it's it. My brain escapes. I do do research, and you see me that I write scripts, and that I bullet point so that I can give the best out of it. But somewhere in there is Jay speaking from her soul. Yeah. It doesn't come from my mind. It comes from my heart, and I don't care anymore what people think. And I know that they, even if it's one person. Gary Vee says, you know, <clears throat> at the end of your life or when you're in heaven, if, you know, they show you that one person that you helped mm-hmm. and that's with which what I'm going with with this podcast is how can I help just one person not go through this or know that there's hope and that there's, you know, there's another side to what they're going through. If they're going through something similar or even if it's not similar, just a hard time in general. Take us back a couple of years ago, or really to the beginning, right, of your uh, journey, I would call it, with bipolar. Um, how did you, what were the, the initial kind of signs, and how did you move from just thinking you had it to actually being diagnosed to it? Right, it took 30 years. So my first symptom was on my, first, uh, my fourth birthday party. Mm-hmm. I remember it vividly. I had never felt sadness from nowhere like that before. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot going on in, in my young life. You know, my, my parents were, we were living in Florida, my mom and I, and my dad was staying in New Jersey. And I think it had a lot to do with situations, but situations from the outside can bring on mental illness. Yeah. If you had it predisposed, it'll all of a sudden come out. And I went through all my life being called a crybaby and a brat and all these things that I knew were lies. Kyle, I knew that they were speaking lies on me. And uh, I recently, in 2018, I crashed and almost burned. If it wasn't for the fact that I have children and that I know what it's like to lose a parent, I didn't know if I was going to hang on much longer. I was tired Mm. of the same cycle of being in major depression and then all of a sudden hypomanic and this whole cycle and it was through digital creators and this is why I wanted to do the podcast that I started learning and tracking my my life and I was like I brought it to my doctor like if I was a lawyer bringing a case to a judge and going tell me what this is and if it doesn't sound like this to you and finally I got my diagnosis 30 years in so you say because of uh, digital creators, right? Unpack that a little bit because um, are you talking about like people on Instagram? Or are you talking about YouTube? Like, what, how do you- Everything. Everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
um, with agoraphobia, for example. Mm-hmm. When I asked the doctor for a letter from my employer of why I was being late to work, it was because I physically, like I had to have dental work. All these teeth mm-hmm. are brand new mm-hmm. because I would get so physically ill anytime I had to leave my house. And I pushed myself for 10 months mm-hmm. going to work. And the letter said agoraphobia. They didn't stop to explain it. Mental health care is very rough in this country. I don't know what it's like around the world, but what it is here, unless you have top, even when you have top notch insurance, Mm -hmm. they don't get paid to stop and explain things. So I looked up agoraphobia and I found this this, uh, psychologist, therapist, Katie Morton on YouTube. And she explained to me what agoraphobia was. And I was like, okay, now we have a name to it. And if there's something I've experienced is a lot of relief when it comes to getting a diagnosis, because mm-hmm. it's not that I'm lost or that I'm a lost cause and I have no hope. I have hope. Speaking of the, the explanation thing, right? I find it interesting because I don't know how it is. I don't know if this is nationally, but in the black community that I grew up in, um, mental health and the services around that are kind of stigmatized, right? And even something like explaining what certain things are, are kind of looked at as, oh, nah, child, she just crazy, or oh, nah, child, he just, he just touched, right? So speak a little bit about the journey of having to, one, learn certain terms for yourself, and then having to explain people, or even do you feel the need to explain to people anymore? I, I do, especially the people that matter to me. Mm. It, to strangers is more of an education thing. If you want it, great. It's kind of like your vibe. Like I'm here to give all this. If you want it, awesome. If you don't, that's good too. Um, and for my family, for my children, for them to understand that mommy's not unhappy. Mm. Mommy has a problem and mommy will you know, be back to how she normally is. And mommy's doing everything possible to be better. My husband and I'm Cuban. So... <laughs> In my family, mental health, my mom was the only one that would search for me. My mom was the only one that knew that internally I wasn't all these names that the rest of my family was calling me. Yeah, yeah. So I know that in the Black community, in the Hispanic community, and of people of color, it's something that's, there's so much stigma. Yeah. And it's just being broken within the last two years. Yeah, it's always been, to me, it's been told that that's a white folk problem. Or it's been told to me, listen, we don't have all that money for no uh, psychiatry or, or all that stuff. So you better get right. You better go to church or something, which, you know, I, I that's neither here nor there. I've been told that. Yeah. Literally that I have a demon. So yeah, I completely understand. I completely understand. And... <laughs> And it's, it's crazy, too, because, you know, you, you say that your employer had to get uh, a, a letter or notice, right? How do you deal with people that just don't want to accept that? That say, you know what? That's not real. You're, you're just putting on an act. Right. Thankfully, because of advocacy, because of the Obamacare, um, because of the Affordable Care Act, because of all these things that have happened within the last, I'm going to say it happened in 2008. Mm-hmm. My employer had to accept it. Wow. Now, there are a lot of employers, like my goddaughter, she's the burnt out brain on Instagram. Mm-hmm. My employer said that she, he didn't believe in mental health. 
and he squeezes the last drop out of her. So we're still breaking a lot of barriers. My employer was corporate. They had to understand. That's really, you know, I'm, I like union jobs because, you know, I I like to have certain things guaranteed to me. Um, But I mean, again, how, how do we, how do we go forward? Because outside of us, outside of the job, right? We have kids Mm -hmm. who um, may or may not go to schools that are um, hip to certain mental health. Right. Uh, here in New York, right? There, you know, you have public schools, but then you have private schools and um, uh, col- what do you call them? Um, like Catholic schools or whatever. Mm-hmm. May not really go full into uh, that mental health care. Um, so, are you teaching your kids at home certain things? Or how do you go about that? Absolutely. I first look for information so that I'm able to answer questions, so that I'm able to give concise information and really good explanations. I try to remove the stigma. Mm-hmm. I found myself with my own work when I was diagnosed first, when what I knew was real was, con- was yes, this is real. I went through my head going, questioning everything. Mm. So I can only imagine them, right? So I had to go into the conversation with them as openly and honestly as I possibly could, giving not medical terminology, but finding a way of educating myself in a way that I would be able to explain it to them for them to understand what the medical condition is, what happens in the medical condition. And at the end of the day, everything's going to be okay. I'm still their mom. And I think that when you approach, I I know that I'm doing an episode with a child who's not an adult of someone with mental illness. And I think that once this, once, you know, 10 years down the line where all these mental health advocates are pushing to break these stigmas and all these, you know, the voices are rising. Mm -hmm. I think that it'll be, a different world for the next generation. Yes. It sometimes um, pains me to know that kids are going through this and not understanding what's happening in their own head, right? Mm -hmm. Just the idea of just any type of health thing, but especially something uh, in your head where that controls everything around you and controls how you see things and you not understanding um, what's going on and how you're interacting with the world. Um, If you can, because I don't even know if you, you know, if it's really effable, um, give us a little bit of a portrait of how that felt, especially in your teenage years and your, your formative years, how it felt to have that sort of mind, mind frame and mindset. I first, Describe it as lonely. Mm. It was so incredibly lonely. And you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I was a kid that always searched. I'm sorry. I was a kid that always searched for the light at the end of the tunnel. I had to hang on to hope. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, Even when I lost it, I would try to seek it again. I went through my father's murder when I was 13 to add it on top of that. He lived in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Wow. Um, 
on top of that. So I found myself very alone. And that's why the theme around my podcast is that you're not alone. That regardless of what your surroundings are, there are tons and tons and tons of mental health advocates, just people just like you. We're not talking doctors and therapists. We're talking about regular people that are out here ready to share their stories, ready to share yours, ready to talk, ready to reach out a hand. Just like you reached out a hand to me, you know, and that we're out here. We're here to help. I, I love that. I love the, the, that we don't have to be alone, especially in the digital age, right? Where we can always find someone, some kind of kindred spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can, I want to go back to um, that time period around your father's um, passing. How do you, how does young Jay um, internalize that, that, that moment and the surrounding series of events? And how does that affect your mental health? Because I know a lot of people um, in environments like Jersey, here in Brooklyn, go through a lot of um, death-based trauma. Yes. Don't get the proper diagnosis, right? I didn't. Never did. So tell us a little bit about how you felt in that moment. Maybe someone listening can draw some parallels, you know? Right. Um, I just released an episode today on complicated grief. Mm, Okay. Like you said, a lot of trauma-based death, especially at a young age, uh, like I experienced it. With my dad, I talked to him a few hours before he died. I knew the neighborhood he lived in, and I thought in my head, well... I know it's dangerous. You must know. You're a grown man. Mm-hmm. Right. And I hung up the phone on him. Wow. Um, part of me feels like I had like an inkling, like a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom says that I woke up and I said, what happened to my dad? Wow. Immediately when she tapped me to wake me up. <clears throat> mm. <clears throat> my, my throat gets a little tight. Um, I know that... I felt a lot of anger towards him, towards the person that hurt him, Mm -hmm. and towards myself. The guilt, the anger, the pain, the thoughts of what could have been, what I didn't get the opportunity to do. Because at the end of the day, this person struck a deal with the DA, Mm -hmm. and they got 17 years and did 14. Wow. They're out living their life. Right. Yeah. I, he's gone and I was stuck with this life sentence. So in 2007, after I had my first child, I was only 20 when I had my first son, I started writing letters to this person, letters to my dad, journaling to myself, letters to myself. I never heard the words complicated grief until I was 32 years old. Mm. I was diagnosed with ADHD with aggressive behavior, which I've never been aggressive in my whole life. I got diagnosed with everything. And I know it's something that's in the DSM-5, which is the book that these doctors follow, as still as uh, something that's complicated. It still needs more study. Mm -hmm. But just 
the assumption that it was something that it wasn't. My grief was never touched upon, even though my mom spent thousands and thousands of dollars, worked seven days a week to get me treatment. And all I got was just pills thrown in my face and that was it. Um, I know exactly how it feels. I know the pain, the yearning, the want, the want for 10 more minutes. Yeah. And I share all that. And I'm here for whoever just needs to be listened to. Because for years, I'm talking about for six years, all I did was mention it to anybody I could. Just wanting any kind of humanity from anybody. And I didn't get it. I had, it's crazy, because the one person that did, other than my mother and my aunt and like, my God, like my immediate, immediate household family. Um, the only person that did it was this girl named Jessica, which we lost her due to mental health uh, like 10 years back. And she ended up being my husband's cousin. And we met 10 years after, almost 20 years after, and they ended up being family. But this girl was really there for me because she had lost her dad. So she knew my pain. And I want to be a Jessica to other people. So, but I want to have information to give to. That's the big thing, right? Information. Because a lot of times what people, like we said earlier about, you know, labeling someone as crazy, not having the right information, talking about healthcare, not having access to, you know, financially not having access to the best right. care. Um, and then getting care but getting drugs thrown at us as, as opposed to actual therapy and um, things that work. As a former rager, right? As a former uh, okay. heavy, heavy indulger in the, uh, in the life. Um, and I'm sure I had some trauma and, and some mental health associated with it. Um, I, I use that as a crutch, right? I use that as a a way to just escape and to aisle mm-hmm. for a second, right? Um, if you have any experiences with uh, with those drugs and you're willing to share, uh, sure. we would love to know a little bit. Because again, I know that some, certain drugs that you got to, some people- I am on one that I have to take. Yeah. But then again, we know that some people unfortunately abuse it. So I want to get a little bit more of an understanding of of the drug process, the prescription pill process. I just talked to my psychiatrist yesterday and he is not the greatest, but I don't have access to the best Mm -hmm. at this moment. That's why I'm working hard because healthcare is a priority. You know, if I have an iPhone 11, I need to get myself proper care. Yeah, that's the way I've had to start looking at it. Um, like I have no cable, but I'll have internet because my kids homeschool. Mm-hmm. But I need to get myself proper care. This guy tells me I've had the creme de la creme of medication, and he has no idea what he's going to do for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Basically, my medication is a thousand one hundred dollars a month with a coupon. Wow! It's called Rylar, and it changed my life in a matter of two weeks. I became me. Not depressed, Janet, not hypomanic, Janet, me. 
So I need that medication. Now, my entire life, starting with Ritalin, mm-hmm. I've just been tossed medications at, which at the end of the day, that whole process can advance um, dementia later on. Yeah. So we have to be, unfortunately, and when you're in it, my husband's going to walk in the background. Sorry. When you're in it, um, you can't, you can't muster the energy to fight for yourself. Yeah. In 2018, I was seeing this doctor. Mm-hmm. He had a psychologist across the hall from him. And I would tell him, are you sure? I don't need to go see your friend across the hall. And he, in his own pride and his own wanting to get the money. Yeah. Was, uh, reluctant to give me a referral to a psychologist one day he simply asked me in in other wording i'm going to use different wording um are you going to hurt yourself and i said i just stopped and i was like because this is a time where i was having ideations right and i went "Mm, no he threw 120 xanax in my face wow like just walk out with 120 Xanax, like, like it's Advil. Like that's it. Like that's it. And there's, that's why, you know, the impact of if you're going into the healthcare field, it cannot be about the money. You cannot have a price, a dollar sign on your forehead. You got to do this for humanity and for the well-being of those people that are being entrusted in your hands. And uh, as a patient, even though it's so hard when you're in it and you're in it deep and you have nothing left to give, you've got to fight and be your own advocate. You have to, because there is another side to mental illness. There is, there's going to be hard days. There's medications, there's treatments, and it doesn't have to be aggressive or abusive. It doesn't have to be kind of working. You just have to really fight for it. And if you don't have the strength, and you have access to family, to a friend, to an acquaintance that you can reach out to, do it so they can help you fight. That just makes me so incensed that, I wanna stop here. Um, and usually I like to flow in the conversation and say this for the end, but I just wanna tell you, Janet, that there is such a light that radiates from you. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. There is, thank you. There is, there are a lot of people that understandably go through certain things in their life and let it consume them to the point where um, not only is their light kind of consumed, but they are active purveyors of darkness. Mm-hmm. It is such a, a superpower that you are using what you have been through and the pain and the hurt and, and just you're using this to spread light. And, and it hit me when, you know, you said that all of that is, was just thrown at you, right? A lot of people would be consumed by that. I know people that... <laughs> Did, like, did, like, just didn't even have, right, a lot of what you've had to go through and they've been consumed by the Ritalins and 
for me by the Johnny Walkers and the and the you know whatever I used to drink. I don't even remember anymore, thank God. But anyway, I, I I I applaud you for having such a light that it pierces through what you've been through. And I don't want to end the conversation. I, I just felt in my spirit that I needed to pause right there because so many times we do not give people their kudos when they can hear it and their flowers when they can smell it. And you are an incredible light. So thank you. No, thank you for those words. I mean, it is very easy to be consumed. I have been consumed before. I just see it as a pit and I've had to keep crawling. I'm still here and I'm going to be here until like my grandfather used to say my expiration date. Yes. When God says is over my story. You see that semicolon. It says my story isn't over yet. Wow. Right. So I'm going to be here and I'm going to try to fight. And while I'm fighting, I'm going to try to do on my good days, whatever good I can, because it can't be that we're here, Kyle, for nothing. We're here with purpose. Yeah. You have a purpose. Everybody listening to us, everybody who isn't, we're placed here with a mission. Yeah. And it's finding what that mission is. And the stronger the mission, the harder the falls, the harder the setbacks. I had a month there. I had started my podcast, my biggest episode, which is agoraphobia, and I got hit with major depression. Wow. It's going to be like that. It's going to be sometimes all-consuming. But we have to continue to fight. I want to ask, how does the consumption feel, right? Because a lot of people, they may maybe feel a little bit like they like they have a little depression or they are going through a traumatic experience or they might not feel totally okay in themselves right but they might not know they might just be thinking like the world says oh i might just be a little bit i might be hungry or i might you know just whatever so tell a little bit about how it feels for you you said hungry mm-hmm. and i thought I, for some reason, I felt that we were going to end up in this question. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it in my spirit. And I said, it feels like you're starving. You haven't eaten. Think about the most excessive amount of weeks before death uh, that you can go without nutrition. And then you're being asked to run a mile. Wow. That's the best way. Just the simplest of tasks. It takes away your livelihood, your job. As a parent, I would pull out, like that was it. That's the only form of function that I could pull out was to be those babies' parent to the best. They're not babies. They're 14, 10, 11, and, and 4. But I would pull out whatever, muster up whatever bit of energy and give it to them and then go right back to bed. Yeah. I spent six weeks awake, Kyle. When I would fall asleep, it felt like I was dropping from a large height, from a very, very tall height, from a roller coaster or that big needle drop. 
if every time I would close my eyes, it would just feel like that in my body and it would just wake me back up. And I spent due to withdrawing of medication, me withdrawing from medication, I would feel like that. And I spent six weeks like that and it almost broke me. Wow. What keeps you going? Them, them and my husband, my family, the, those that show me love and I show love to them. And it's so enriching, even conversations like mine and yours, you know what I mean? Even the relationship that we're starting to form and the relationship I have with Nicole, the relationship I have with my goddaughter, um, that she went from being my baby to my best friend. Um, that keeps me going. And those babies of mine that I know what it's like to lose a parent. They cannot, I cannot keep this generational curse going and going and going and going and going. It is my job to break it at this point. I don't know how well you can answer this question. Um, and I've thought about it quite a lot myself, uh, for some reason or another. Um, how do you think? that your husband uh, musters the energy and uh, the, the necessary resources to um, give you what you need as a right. mental health. We were talking about this today and we want to do an episode together um, regarding, he says that he's gotten to the point where he, I'm very vocal of where I'm at every morning. Today is a good day. You'll see it. I'll be dancing in the kitchen and, you know, talking and and just living like a normal person should, right? And appreciating the surroundings, right? And when it's bad, it's bad. It could be really bad or it could be kind of bad. He says he lets me go. He's there when he needs me, when I need him to be, when he needs to be. Um... He lets me go when it's something that he knows that I don't need him to intervene in and he knows I'll be back. That's so beautiful. I love the simplicity in it. I I put up something the other day about rhythm and about flow and about um, the necessity to kind of find that, that pattern of function. And, you know, I asked that question because, you know, (laughs) I've dealt with some 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 women in my life, you know. <laughs> Might not have been. I I, I don't like. To, I I love all the women that I've ever been with. Um, I would never say anything bad about them, and they put up with me. And I'm you know, I'm my own <laughs> uh, journey, but uh, it, it speaks to really communicating, and it speaks to uh, the ability to kind of hear what that person needs without them saying it, right? Right. Bella. I think that it has to a lot to do with find, being with the person that is supposed to be your person. And I know a lot of people don't believe in that, but I look at it as a puzzle and he and I fit. Wow. You get what I'm saying? We fit. He knows that the kitchen gives me anxiety. Yeah. I will clean bathrooms. I will do all the housework. I will take care of every bill that we have. 
I am on it on the kids with school, whatever I don't do, there he is. Whatever he is, it just doesn't for him. Here I am. And that's the marriage that I saw in my grandparents. And that's, we came both broken. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard the song from Rascal Flatts, Broken Road. Mm-hmm. Look it up if you haven't. We were those people. We actually bonded from that song. And we, I came in with two kids. He came in with one. We were both broken and we fit. And wow. if something doesn't fit, Kyle and everybody listening, sometimes it's workable. We've had to work through a lot of things, but sometimes it is not. Yes. And there is no point in living your life trying to grind pieces of a puzzle together to make it fit. It never will. Ooh. If it don't fit, you got you to gotta quit. I think that a lot Sometimes. Of, I think that a lot of times we... And, and so this is the thing, right? I am very uh, anachronistic. I'm very old school when it comes to relationships. Like you said, your grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so many times in this generation, we have these swipeable relationships. And, you know, everyone is expendable. Everyone's disposable. Everyone is... <laughs> like you said, it's not about... Uh, finding who fits, it's about finding who fits right now, right? Yeah. Looking at the bigger picture of of a life partner, right? Right. If you can, take us through like that, those initial few moments and initial few feelings that you were like, okay, cool. Because I think a lot of people are simulating those feelings of, okay, this is a real connection, but might not know what a real connection feels like. Right. Um, I'm going to try to do my best. Mm -hmm. It was so organic that it's kind of hard for me to put into words. We were really adult about it. We, I had been through a lot in my life through relationships and I had spent three years by myself. Mm -hmm. Just being a mom to my kids. And I said, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of man that I want. This is the kind of woman that I am. These are my faults. Be prepared. Yes. And if you want it, I feel good. Um, We fit as far as our parenting, um, our goals in life, our upbringings, our families, our uh, morals, everything. Everything that's important fit. And then, you know, everybody's, we're human beings and we all come a little fractured and we all come with our own things, but it's what I'm willing to put up with. What am I, what is something, you know, I have my bad, my bad things that he's still like, ugh. (laughs) And he has his things that I'm like, ugh. But they're things that are just... Yes. We cut it at the at the cord when it's when there's an issue, we squash it and we keep going. And the next time there's an issue, we squash it again. And we keep squashing until until we are old people, you know, squashing issues even when we're old about what we're gonna watch on TV that day. I love that. There's a 
you said that your mom was one of uh, your biggest, if not only advocates. Mm-hmm. And um, losing your dad so early in life affected you, right? Oof. What are you um, looking forward to passing on uh, to your kids in terms of spirit, in terms of lessons, in terms of information? Um, I want to teach them that life can be beautiful amongst the chaos. I want to teach them that you have control of who you are, not of the world around you, Mm -hmm. but how you impact the world and of who you become. Yes. I've tried to teach them humanity. Yes. And educated them not only on numbers and grammar, but educating them about the world and the pain that there's out there, the love that there's out there, the world that there's out there to explore, fill their spirits with as much hope as I possibly can. And that they need to be there for other people. My mother had a language barrier. My mother was stuck in a city in West Palm Beach, Florida, where she was like, okay, okay, okay. And they never looked for a translator. I want to teach them that we need to do better by other people whenever we can so that people like my mother can get their kid help. Yes. It, it seems to me that, again, it goes back to the idea of you using the, um, the bad, quote unquote, in life and turning it around um, to teach, Right. Where do you see yourself going in terms of uh, the mental health field? Because, you know, you talk about people just being in it for the money and being in it to, to throw pills at people, but you're obviously not that. So yeah. how do we, how does the world get you to be bigger in the world of, of mental health? And um, how do we get more Janets in the world of mental health? I think that vulnerability, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. people, I'm still afraid. I still have self-doubt. And right before I launched my first episode, like launching episodes wasn't what it is now two mm-hmm. months ago. It was riddled with self-doubt. I think that there could be more people like me out there. As long as we push through, we face it. You have to, I see it as a big brick wall and you got to push, 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 push until it breaks down. And that's with self-doubt in general in whatever field you want to do. And as far as me, I would love to get to the point where I can dedicate myself to learning more. Maybe, you know, attending online classes and and educating myself more so I could educate other people Mm -hmm. using my own story or using your story Mm -hmm. and being able to bring a a compassionate but also an education-based episodes out there to to people so that we can grow and expand and uh people share and as more the more they share the more people will be reached and it will grow and that's where i hope to see myself in the future having the time Mm -hmm. to record not only in the middle of the night while everybody's sleeping (laughs) and i thank you for being here i 
I was watching this thing on, because um, I'm doing research as well for what we're about to turn into. And um, I was watching this thing on uh, CBD, uh, cognitive behavior uh, training. Mm-hmm. And um, they said that there can never be enough trainers and, and certified people for the amount of people in this country that need it. Yeah. So my question uh, that I was going to pose to the person, if I could talk to YouTube, <laughs> would be, well, how do we get, how do we break out of the standard of I need to go to college for 10 years or five, however many years to get this, right? How do we um, not push people through, but empower people and train people a kind of um, fast lane? Like a certification? Yeah. Kind of thing, open it up for people to learn as much as they can when they can. Yeah, I agree. I think that the heart is missing and the bachelor's degrees are uh, a plentiful, very plentiful. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of heart missing in a lot of places. I'm not saying that in general. Yeah. I'm just saying that there's a lot of heart missing. And there's a lot of parents like me with a lot of responsibilities that want to help. Yeah. And they can't do both. Go get a bachelor's degree and work a full-time job. Yeah. To be able to get it. So I don't know exactly what I think that there should be certification. I'm not even a hundred percent like a YouTube university kind of thing, uh, but uh, accredited schools opening up their minds where we've done it during the pandemic that people are doing school online. Anyway, the prices are ridiculous. That's another thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, we need to do better as a country. There's other countries thriving and surviving, uh, lifting up their people not constantly keeping them down and right now if you look it's the top 10 percent that are happy and everybody like me is hoping for a new day i'm struggling you know what i mean i want to get this education and i can't because the student loans are too much or because i have to work six shifts a week to be able to make it and it's it's great like going back to the idea of these doctors pushing drugs and obviously getting those kickbacks. It's like, well, I wonder why, right? Because they're, they they're do get paying off that, that thing. So how do it's frustrating again, that we live in a system where lives are for sale. Yeah. And health is for sale. Um, I agree. And CBT therapy, the little bit that I was able to get, Mm-hmm. Paying fifty dollars a pop once a week, which it adds up. It it's too much. It that was with excellent insurance, by the way. Wow. And- I was paying one hundred and sixty dollars every two weeks for myself alone. Wow. So and do the math where I was at. The the thousand hundred dollars a month, right? It's like you got. <laughs> You got to have a, a good job, like a great job, just to make sure that your, your mental health is intact. Yeah. At this point, I need to make minimum, 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 tw- just $20,000 of whatever I, at least minimum, $20,000 a year of what I make would have to go to my mental health. But the little bit of CBT therapy that I got, got me off of lorazepam, which is an anti-anxiety medication. Wow. 
And we're talking about maybe two months of, of therapy. Do you, do you see it? Okay. So as someone who's been through that training, do you see it as, um, able to be like done in an each one teach one type? It sounds so silly, right? But an each one teach one type of way, like, okay, I got it. Let me, let me be able to give it to someone else. Or because I'm trying to figure out ways that we can make this more affordable and, and it doesn't seem plausible where the system is right now. I think that the training has to be as broad as okay. possible. People have to going into it, have to be willing to listen, mm -hmm. not to respond, but listen, not go automatically into training, but really listen and find and provide the education because it's, it's, you know, it's cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's like you said, a training of training people, equipping people mm -hmm. to be ready for their fight. Wow. That's what I got. And I got very little therapy. How do you wake up every day? And it sounds like a ridiculous question, but it's not. How, how do you wake up every day? Right. Because I know I have a process. Um, I, I'll put it like this. I had a process when I was uh, out in the world and doing my, doing my, you know, weird thing where I didn't know if I would go into work in the morning, right? I didn't know if I would have even been home at, uh, gotten home at, at an hour to, to, you know, be in bed, you know, right? I, I didn't, I would barely, you know, do the, the, the shower and, and, you know, hygiene thing. I would barely do, it was a ridiculous, like the most, the epitome of the prodigal son type of thing, right? But now I realize I have to have a morning process. Me too. I right. call it mine for morning. Yes, exactly. So tell us a little bit about that, right? About how you structure your mornings. I wake up and I've learned, first of all, I thrive in routine. Yeah, yeah. I wake up and I'll wake up around 5.30 and I will sit and I give myself two hours to sit, mm -hmm. to explore mm -hmm. uh, what I want to do as far as Instagram because I'm trying to grow to reach so my message reaches as many people as possible. Um, I will sit there and journal mm -hmm. and I give myself those two hours. I need, regardless whether I go to work or not, those two hours. Mm -hmm. It makes me a better human, period. Um, some days are not great. Some days my mind is very cloudy. Mm -hmm. Some days I have a lot of anxiety and that's when mindful morning becomes implement these therapies, these therapy tools that I have and let's get to a baseline. That's the most important. I learned that if I don't put myself first, I have nothing to give. Wow. Yeah, that's it. Wow. Yeah. I love that you said get to a baseline. Get to that, that standard, that right. place. That place, which it's taken me years to find. I'm discovering who I am, what I'm okay with, what I'm not okay with. I mean, I've always had my morals and my and my thoughts and my feelings about things, but I'm discovering who I am. Who is this person? Exactly. Right? 
And so far I'm liking who she is and it's been very healing. Fight for your healing is what I tell everybody because your story isn't over yet. It goes back to, wow. It, I would wonder, right? Like I, sometimes I would just, if there were a way to kind of open everyone up and see what percentage of mental health struggle that they're dealing with, right? Because so many people I talk to have that same thing that you say, but they would right. never say that they had any type of mental health issue. They would, they would be right. offended if someone even suggested that they had a mental health issue, right? I get, yeah, I could tell them everybody has mental health. Not everybody has mental illness. Okay. Cardiac health, pulmonary health. Mm -hmm. uh, you have your bone health, your gut, your, you know, your gut health. Mm -hmm. Mental health is something everybody has. Wow. Hmm. What part of spiritual, what, if any, what part does spirituality play in uh, your journey with your mental health? Um, through the struggles, mm -hmm. through the list and list of things that have happened, the many times that my life has been almost over, he hasn't let me down. Wow. Right at the last moment when I lose, when I think I'm lost, it's gone, it's over, there's no coming out of it. His hand reaches out and grasps me back and pulls me back where I need to be. I love that so much. We always feel like we're on the precipice of a storm. We all feel like we're on like that, the cliff, the edge. And I, Janet, I had, um, when I was younger, I used to dabble in music, not dabble, but I used to do music and I had a line. Um, um, I said, and it's funny how we speak things into existence. I said, I never want to be sober. Um, never want to be something, but always want to come close to going over the edge, ledge, swinging off the ledge, screaming I'm alive while my emotions are dead, right? Wow. And this was, this was like at the beginning of my foray into like uh, drinking and raging and partying too much, right? Right. And I, I, I love the fact that you said you always, we always get to that place where we think everything is going to fall apart, mm -hmm. but then it's, it's for that lesson. It's for that. Yeah. And I, I think, I thank God every day for the struggle that I've been through. I thank God. I thank God right now for the struggle that you've been through because you. just talking to you, I know it's going to affect so many people's lives. It's affected me sitting here right now. Oh. I, that's all I hope for is that I can, that I can be used to, that my purpose is fulfilled and that I can be used to help other people and give them hope and that there is still reason to have faith. It's just finding your own. Exactly. and tapping into it and accepting it and letting it fill you and move forward continue i look at it like walking in sand with heavy boots or like wet sand with heavy boots just yeah gotta keep going in mud and just it's uh, it's like that it feels heavy i know i know yeah but you gotta keep moving 
I um I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you have duties. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey into podcasting, what that means to you, and where people can get more of this light and magic and love that is that is Jay. Um, well, my journey into podcasting was, like I said, I always knew that I wanted to do something. I wanted to put my story out there. I just didn't know in what way, what I would share and how I would share it, right? Mm. Um, COVID hit mm-hmm. and I found myself nine weeks unemployed. Mm. I said, I, my time is now. Mm-hmm. This time, the time is now to do it. And I think a lot of people felt that. Yeah. Like this is my time to do what I gotta do. Um, so I started doing all my own research. I do all my own editing. I'm self-taught with everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I just put it out there. It was just research and put it out there. Just tons and tons of research. Yeah. Um, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yes. We're definitely going to link um, that in in the uh, the bio and everything that we can because your voice, your story, your light, your love needs to be out there as much as possible. Guys, if you have not checked out uh, the Elderly Millennial Podcast, the Elder Millennial Podcast. That Elder Millennial, that. That Elder Millennial. There's, an, there's I made a mistake, mm-hmm. and there's a, the Elder Millennial, but oh. I'm that one. <laughs> I love it. If you guys have not checked it out, please check it out. And, um, where can they, can they reach out to you on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on it all day. Mm-hmm. I have it on me. It's alerted on my phone. I'm here for whoever needs me. Um, just reach out and I will get to you the same day. Wow. I will always be open to be that helping hand. I share a lot of other creators content that helps me. I do a lot of sharing and repost. I think it's important. Yeah, as much information out there and people that find me annoying, then that's their problem. No, I, I and, and it's hard, right? Because a lot of times the the nonsense rises to the top of social media and you get all of the kind of gossipy, crummy stuff and negative stuff kind of getting more light. And we get the whole, oh, who are you trying to be? Why are you trying to be all positive type of rap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are we gonna fight? I, I lose followers every time I do a story. No way. Wait, wait, talk about that a little bit. I do. Every time I get into today, I posted about uh, when you post, posting about this uh, therapist was talking, posting from anxiety or posting from purpose. And I don't post stories every day. Mm-hmm. And typically it's from purpose, but then all of a sudden I notice that my followers drop. Hmm. And I'm just trying to give him my stories, kind of the same thing what I'm doing now. My whole vibe is the same. I'm too old to change it up. This is who I am, right? And I just try to come from the most honest and deep place. It's just my positivity comes with the backstory of the negativity. Mm. Remember we were talking about uh, toxic positivity? Yeah. Right? Um, a lot of people that have positivity and, and, and sending positivity 
don't like the backstory, don't like to hear the negative. And part of a lot of positive, if you look throughout history, comes from a ton of negative. Yeah. Right? So I like to share all of it, but a lot of people here in Miami, everything's boat trips. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So um, now is that I'm starting, thanks to you, thanks to Nicole, thanks to my goddaughter, the burnt out brain, I'm starting to reach other people and those people appreciate what I give. Yeah. Thanks to Ali Oop. I mean, all these people I've have seen something in me just like you did, and it means the whole world to me. And these last four months have been the most impactful and beautiful thing that I've lived in years. Wow. We definitely see a lot in you, and there is so much more to come. We love you. Uh, I love you. I thank you so much for your light and for your joy and for your happiness and for your persistence and your resilience. It means so much to me. God bless you. I feel the same about you. Thank you, Kyle. It was truly an honor for you to reach out to me and uh, now having you in a part of my life because I see social media doesn't have to be such a far thing. No. It's supposed to bring us closer. Yeah. And I appreciate you and I'm just as thankful and I love you just as much back and I feel the same about you. Thank Thank you you so much and I'll see you on your next live. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm always there. Janet really is always there and and one of the people that um, when I see I'm like okay I need to step it up a little bit because we got we got some real people in the room now we got some you know because some people you know they'll just kind of populate the live just because they bored or whatever but Janet is always such good people if you guys aren't following her please follow her as soon as possible and I am sure that this is not the last time that you will see her on this platform um, maybe even on this podcast um, Yay! I would love that. I would love that as well. All right, guys. So y'all stick around. I got some business to handle with y'all after. Janet, you stick around. We're going to talk a little bit after. But as for now, good people say bye to Janet. Janet, say bye to the good people. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. And please come join our little community at That Elder Millennial Podcast. I'm here for you. And there's a ton of people and resources out here for you as well. Yes. Guys, I really want y'all to follow Janet. I want y'all to engage, interact, connect, just be a part of that movement over there because she has such a a level of light and love and understanding and poise and beauty and all of the things that we love over here of finding good times. And that brings me to this. I'm so excited that Janet's going to be part of this family. I'm so excited that she's going to be working with us. You are going to see and hear uh, more about that in the coming days but she you're gonna see her on the platform you're gonna see her uh, in her own space on the platform and a part of the finding good times family so i cannot wait for y'all to experience that man y'all gonna hear about it and see about it later but for now let's all say together think good see good do good but most importantly you better be good peace Good people, don't forget to follow Finding Good Times at Finding Good Times on all platforms, at Finding Good Times on all available platforms, and of course, FindingGoodTimes.com. Keep following, keep sharing, 
keep reposting. Most importantly, keep being good. Love y'all.